Welcome to the Queen Trail Podcast. Meditation doesn't have to be sitting still and having an empty mind. The journey is such a beautiful thing because we are all on a journey. You want to make sure you have some kind of distribution plan, at least have an idea of it, because you can make this really amazing film and it only gets seen by your family and friends. Old Hollywood is still intact. Every horse runs hard, but when they win, and they know it. They've got this little sass about them. It was pretty rough. I had to go into the water and with my med pack, swim to the beach, treat these guys, put them on my back, swim out to the helo. And I'm like, oh my God, I've never seen those before. And I said, what are those? And before I could even finish the sentence, she said, oh my God, you didn't touch them, did you? Even if monarchs go away and we never see one again, because there never will be monarchs again, it is just a little indicator of larger threats my dad said, so what were you guys doing in the desert? And I said, we were taking nude photos. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I hope you had a great week since the last time that we got together. I had such a full week and it was actually really great. I attended the opera on Thursday night and I love every kind of music. It is rare that I go to the opera, but I really enjoy classical music and opera, of course. We started out with this fantastic dinner. It was an Italian dinner. Uh, This whole thing took place in downtown Los Angeles. And there's this really wonderful restaurant called Macaroni Republic that's on Broadway. So we decided to have dinner there. And then we took a stroll up 2nd Street to the Colburn School, where Camerata Pacifica, that's their chamber orchestra, was hosting their special guest, Samuel Marino. He is an amazing soprano, and he's got this really fearless fashion style that easily put on one of the most joyful performances that I've ever had the pleasure to see. And it was Camerata Pacifica's season finale. They pulled out all of the stops. I would highly recommend catching one of their performances next season or even like purchasing season tickets as well as stopping into the Macaroni Republic for dinner first. Both are excellent treats for a fun night. And you know, the thing that I didn't think about, which would have just upped the fun, is that you can walk from Macaroni Republic right through Grand Central Market to the Angels Flight Funicular. And that will take you up to Grand, which is the same street that Camerata Pacifica is on, excuse me, which is the same street that the Colburn School is on. And that's so much fun to do. But And then you don't have to walk up the steep hills. But on the other hand, it's a great way to burn off that dinner. And I'm telling you, those hills are like glute builders. So they're not that far. You don't have to take like a really super long walk. I think it took us like 10 minutes to get up there. And we weren't racing or anything because I had high heel shoes on. The other thing that I did is on Saturday, I had another reason to dress up, which was really beautiful. My cousin Tara got married to her longtime beau, Edmund. So congratulations to them both. I hope that they have many happy adventures together. You know, weddings are such special occasions because there is, of course, the union of the happy couple that reminds everybody how wonderful and unique that relationship is, right? Because it's not every day that everyone's experiencing that deep love and commitment that marriage requires. And 
I'm only speaking on my experience here because it's the only one that I have on this topic. As someone who's been married, I think that I saw it not just as really a hopeful and sacred thing to step into, but also a challenge, you know, to hold on to that sweet spot, so to speak. And I kind of went into it with gusto. And the fact that I'm speaking about it in past tense is not at all to say that it cannot work. I have so many friends and family that have been married for many, many years, and they continue to build their love and respect for one another. So it definitely can be done. And I have faith that Tara and Edmund will be holding hands and smiling at each other right into their 90s. I mean, it really was a beautiful wedding. I think, though, (laughs) that no matter how beautiful the wedding is, everybody looks forward to the reception. It's when you finally get to relax and really celebrate the happy couple, but also you reconnect with family and friends that you don't get to see as often as you'd like, right? And it was so awesome to see my aunts and my cousins. I mean, cousins are literally like your second set of siblings when you're growing up. Sometimes even the ones that you wish you had full time. And I think that's because they're not full time, right? Like time and distance makes the heart grow fonder. They're somewhere between siblings and best friends. And that makes them some of the most special people in your life. I just spent so much time laughing together, commiserating together, planning, creating, figuring out how not to burn stuff that we were cooking getting yelled at by two sets of parents to turn the music down, trying on each other's clothes and having to leave way too early and for far too long before we got to do it all over again. And all of that creates this whole set of special memories, right? So it was so awesome to catch up with them again. And that is the magic of weddings. And here is the cool news. Okay, I can't believe I almost forgot to tell you guys about this. Shout out SoCal. So if you go to shoutoutsocal.com, you can go to the Decision Makers series and then scroll down till you get to my interview. Or you can go to the little magnifying glass in the upper right hand corner, click on that and do a search for Sil Annan and it'll pop up that way. I will also put links in the show notes. So I hope you take a minute to read that and listen to what I have to say about podcasts and writing and filmmaking and of course my amazing friends. And speaking of friends, this episode is part two of my talk with my illustrious adventuresome friend, Don Atwood, who took off from Puerto Vallarta, Mexico, westbound through the Pacific with his sailing partner, Julie Dunn, to land in French Polynesia. They're currently having the time of their lives. They made it to the Tuamotos, which we talked about in episode one. So if you have not listened to that episode, please go back and listen to it because it's just full of adventure and magical, wonderful stories about sailing and all the details that you would want to hear about this trip. So uh, this is part two. We're going to talk about a whole lot of fun stuff. And we do jump around a little bit, but there's some good stuff in this one. I love it. And I hope that you will too. So please grab a cuppa 
and join Don Atwood and me in this episode of In the Company of Friends Talks. Enjoy. Life happens and you've got to do the best with it that you can for sure. You know, one of the other things that this reminds me of, a few years ago, I went on one of my girls' weekends trips and it was up to the San Juan Islands. We were going to kayak from San Juan Beach over to uh, Reed Harbor. I forget which island this is on, but it was like a six and a half hour paddling, you know, through the ocean there. And it was really the salmon run was on and we wanted to see the orcas from our little kayaks. We ended up seeing no orcas on the day that we came out of Reed Harbor. It was just glorious there. The wind had really increased. It was just frigid wind and it didn't look like the best idea to be out on sea, but our time was up and we had to follow our tour guide who was experienced in being a kayaker, experienced within these islands there, and um, also an experienced EMT, which was great. Except that for some reason, the information that this gigantic storm was coming at about the point where we were out in the middle of the ocean and really far away from seas was not communicated to him or he didn't see it on any of his weather reports. And I really thought we possibly could die. Um, What's interesting is that like you, I just started playing all of these thoughts about my life in my mind. And one of them was, oh my God, I was going to get extra tickets for my kids to come out (laughs) and enjoy this, you know, and, and surely they would have drowned. I'm a really strong swimmer. Since a kid, I was on swim teams, water polo teams, high dive teams. I love swimming. And so I didn't fancy the idea of falling out of the kayak in those super turbulent waters. But I felt like, you know, if I fall out, at least I I know how to swim and I can probably hang on to this little boat. Uh, But it was churning and, you know, waves were going over the top of our heads and it it was a good, it was a good hour of just struggling in that. And it does really change your perspective. And again, you know, it's one of those things where somebody else might think that it was really not a smart move. But when you go through experiences like that, the way that you see the world and the things that are, it, it just puts everything into perspective. The, the things that yeah. you think are important prior to that, are no longer important. You really see what matters in life. And um, and I think on some level, we should all experience a, you know, a challenge from nature at some point, because it's, it's very grounding, it's humbling, and it really creates a different way of viewing the world once you've gone through it and, and survived it. And again, it's, it's a huge risk, because I, you know, we might have, none of us might have survived that. It was it was pretty crazy. <laughs> well, it kind of gets back to that platitude of, of that which does not kill us makes us stronger. It, it, it really is true, though. And um, you're right. If people can have these experiences where hopefully they survive, <laughs> you walk away with it with a, a, a different perspective and appreciation for the gift of life that we have. And maybe even it could alter the course of your life with regards to what you choose to do or how you choose to live that life. Uh, but in a survival situation with you, Sil, I wouldn't bet against you. I think I think you're a pretty good survivor. <laughs> I I think I am too. And is is that story the one that you just told me about having to chase your boat? Because that 
kind of made my heart go into my throat, you know, or sink into my belly, whichever one it was, just the idea that you're chasing down this boat that's bigger, heavier, has a sail on it, um, is <laughs> it's got wind pushing it, and it's created to flow along like that. Um, it just really kind of scared me, and I'm really glad that you made it. But is okay, that me too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is that the scariest thing or the most exciting thing that's ever happened while you're out there sailing? I'm trying to think of other ones. That's the one where, by virtue of the nature of it, swimming along by yourself, I probably had the greatest opportunity to be thinking about the situation as it was occurring. Sometimes emergencies arise that you have to respond immediately, and you don't actually ponder it till after the fact. Here's one that right, you know, in the throes of it, I had a chance to kind of contemplate the situation, my life, the, the overall circumstance. And I think in that way, it lent a lot more meaning to it. Um, I'd have to I'd have to think a little bit if there's other moments in other travels, and I'm sure there have been, but nothing's springing forth at this second. I just think this is so amazing, so adventurous. I, of course, have watched some nautical documentaries. I, you know, there's one with the nautical team. I think that they're called the Maidens. Um, oh, yeah, right. Uh-huh. So there was a documentary that was recently done with them. They were going around Cape Fear. That seemed pretty crazy. And a lot of the things that they had to prepare for, but maybe 20, 30 years ago, I read another account of the first young girl to sail around the world. And the difficulties that that was, despite all of the preparation and having places that were marked for her to stop and all of the magnificent adventures and just exquisitely spectacular days that she also encountered. And it just seemed like at that time, something that I would want to do. But you know, again, like I said, I've never sailed, so I didn't even know where to start. That was uh, that was Tanya Abbey, and I too read her book. In fact, I had an opportunity to go and listen to her speak. Uh, mm -hmm. I think I purchased the book there. I took my own copy of it there and had her sign up. It's a, it's still a, a a prized possession of mine, and it has something. Uh, May you follow all your dreams and adventures, Don. Uh, signed Aww. Tanya Abbey. She was a, a a bit of a misbegotten teenager, kind of a bit lost. And she sought this out, and I think the courts even tried to intervene to keep her from going forth. Uh, a lot of criticism of her parents for supporting this, and yet she did it, and it was a marvelous adventure, and it changed her life, made her a much better person. But those kinds of stories can really be inspirational, and, and I think particularly for women, having good women role models is important. So, yeah, Tanya Abbey is a, quite a remarkable woman. There have been others. There's a, a really good Netflix video. And I'm drawing a blank on the, the name of the young woman who circumnavigated without stopping. And she had lots of interesting adventures along the way, but she's down in the very worst possible seas of the Southern Ocean. But it's, it's a good story, and it was a, a video that was well-made and well worth watching. So these things are inspirational, and uh, that's the kind of thing that got me going as a youth and continues to carry me forward. So we all need those models, I think, to do the best in our life. Yeah. You're only a couple of weeks away, or... Maybe even just one week away? Yeah, probably. A, it, I'd say probably a week and a half or so, we'll start looking for optimal weather. We need to get out into the trades leaving Mexico. So be waiting for conditions that aren't storm conditions, winds in a favorable direction. And winds, I don't want to be motoring out to start 
an adventure like this. I, I want to be hopefully sailing happily out of the Puerto Vallarta area and heading to the southwest there. And the 3,000 miles that you mentioned actually is the very first step. That's just to get to the very first island. <laughs> uh, you know, beyond that, there's another 7,000 miles of Pacific Ocean that lurks behind. So this truly is a great adventure that will last probably multiple years. And we'll just kind of take it one day at a time. Hopefully come back as a much better guitarist with that practice time on board the boat. And I'll probably catch up on my reading. Like a lot of folks, you acquire a stack of books or a stack of Kindles that you want to read. And I think I'll finally have my opportunity to start plowing through them and even going back and reading some physics textbooks that I've always wanted to read. I was going to mention a couple of books that I think you would really like. I just finished reading Soul of an Octopus. Have you read that one? No, I haven't. Uh, although I'm a giant octopus fan. So yeah, I'd like to. Tell me about yeah, it. Yeah, it's a nonfiction book. And it really starts out in, I want to say it's Boston. There's a big aquarium on the East Coast. And this woman, I'm forgetting her name, Sai. It's terrible. I will put a link okay. in the show notes because I don't have it in front of me. She is a researcher and it won one of the best science research awards for that year. And it takes you on a journey of meeting different octopuses. And then at some point she decides to learn how to scuba. It's just a wonderful story. I, I loved every bit of it. It was really a worthwhile read. And then the other one that is sort of an adventure, rugged type of book is of Wolves and Men, which I'm currently reading right now. There's a whole section in the middle about how cruel humans have been to the wolves that I kind of sort of skipped over because I didn't, um, I didn't want to read all of that. But it has some really amazing descriptions of who the wolf is just really gets in depth into the wolf and how the wolf has impacted society and names that we give various things. You know, there's wolf's vein, which is a very poisonous plant, but then there's also like these very strong heroic associations with wolves and and then these demonic associations with the wolves. But I think both of those would be really good books for you to read while you're out there on uh, we're looking at 10,000 miles of ocean then. So, yeah, these sound like really good recommendations for reads. Uh, the, on the wolf, we anthropomorphically, we can sort of project feelings, sentient feelings onto wolves like we can with dogs and cats. It's a little bit trickier with the, the octopus, but I think increasingly we're finding that they're highly intelligent, very sentient creatures. Um, and they're just marvelous. I certainly called attention to it by watching my octopus teacher, which was just a delight and a mm -hmm. really fine thing to, to see. But I find it very disturbing now. You go to a market or frequently even restaurants here in Mexico where we'll be offering pulpo, which is octopus. And in diving, yeah. I've, seen, I've seen traps that are laid with the intent of catching octopus. And recognizing how highly intelligent they are, if they see food in a jar with their tentacles, they're able to unscrew the lid in order to get at what they want. Um, these are these are highly intelligent animals, and I just I hate to see something with that sentient ability be killed for something uh, as simple as food when it's not necessary for one's dietary needs. When there's you know a wealth of other things that can be eaten. 
Right. Octopus is on my list of sea life that I will also not eat. And precisely for that reason. I saw one just right down below your house there. I was exploring the tide pools and I was kind of peeking down there and just looking for simple little critters, which by the way, you don't see nearly as many as uh, you do when I was a kid in those same same locations. Mm -hmm. But I sort of, I saw a tentacle and slowly, very shyly, this octopus came and sort of moved to a different place. But he was a, a good sized one. So it's really, a and I hope people can just appreciate the wonder of things rather than finding the need to kill it, eat it, whatever they, they're, they're trying to do. You know, one of my good friends is a docent over at the Cabrilla Marine Aquarium. And actually, I've got one that's a docent there. And then I've got another friend who is an educator at the Cabrilla Marine Aquarium. And I was mentioning to her, because I know you and I have talked about this before, that uh, when we were kids, these waters were teeming with marine life, you know, you could go down there and spot nudibranchs and sea cucumbers and sea hares and sea stars and all of those sea things. And now it's decimated. And it's, it's kind of, I mean, it really is kind of sad to walk along there, you know, with the goal of, is there at least one thing that we can see while we're here? And right. what my friend Robin, who is an educator there at CMA, as well as a science teacher, said is that it is no longer a protected environment. And as soon as the protection ended through the fish and wildlife, it was just all bets were off and people went in and this is what it looks like now. So I just feel that the onus is so heavily on each of us as an individual to make the choice to be stewards of the environment. And, um, you know, and it's really hard because a lot of people are completely unaware of the damage that they're creating by picking up animals and, you know, just, just even picking up an animal to look at it and dropping it off in a different pool from the tide pools, you're, you've taken it out of its environment. And it's, it's not like the ocean is the ocean is the ocean. It's, it would be like, you know, picking us up and putting us in a different home and saying, well, you're still on the same block. (laughs) You know, it's, it's not our home. So that's what's happened there, which is a shame. And I hope that it gets some protection again and, or at least, you know, people become a little bit more mindful and aware of what's going on there. Um, but that's yeah, super as, cool that you were able to, to see an octopus there at all. Well, as what I remember as a child, I was taken there by my, my parents and uh, just really young and just that, that marvelous excitement. You reached out and, and as you say, there was a wealth of all sorts of critters down there. The sea anemones were fairly prominent. And that very first time as a child, you gently put your finger down with a little trepidation, touch the sea anemone, and its little tentacles come up and wrap around your finger in their sticky fashion. It's thrilling. And it should it should inspire awe. And the fact that people are going, I don't know what they do, but taking them away or eating animals there, whatever, whatever though, it's, it's a changed environment. And it's just one more indication that, you know, we're kind of messing with things. It's time to uh, turn back the clock a little bit and try to bring back some of the marvels that used to exist. And as a kid, that is, I mean, that can open up an entire world of curiosity for a child, just feeling those sea anemones wrapping up around your finger like that and seeing that. Like, wow, this is amazing. This big flower looking thing closes up like that, you know? 
Right. I mean, how, how many marine biologists started off from something so simple? Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, may very well have been just that kind of moment that sparked that fire that turned into a career that turned into something brilliant and later in life. So we have to embrace those situations. Definitely. I was going to ask, have you ever just flown to any of these places that you're going to see over in Oceania and the islands that you mentioned? I used to spend a fair bit of time traveling to Indonesia. I was involved trying to encourage some programs for the Indonesian government. So I was flying over to Jakarta on a regular basis, and I had a chance to explore some of the islands of that incredible Indonesian archipelago of like 12,000 islands. So some exposure there. Hawaii will be maybe a little bit like the Marquesas, you know, these tall tall volcanic mountains that are very verdant with rivers and waterfalls and ponds and things. But uh, no, a Micronesia, probably my only exposure to Micronesia and whatnot was through National Geographic as a kid, perhaps being titillated and thumbing through the pages of sort of seeing the natives in the villages and whatnot. So this will be the fulfillment of wonder and curiosity that I've never seen firsthand in most instances. I'm just so thrilled for you and for myself too, that I'll get to see some video and some pictures of your trip and live vicariously through your firsthand adventure. It just is so exciting. Hey, so maybe an invitation will come your way to join us for a week on First Light in Indonesia or some lovely place in the West. So who knows? I would definitely love that and take you up on it. Um, you know, next month, Sophie and I are going to be going to Korea. I don't know if I had shared that with you. No, I didn't know that. That's great. We're kind of excited about that. And I just thought about it because you mentioned taking first light from Japan, uh, which is just right across the ocean right there from Korea. Yeah, I, I had a chance to go to Korea for a conference. Viewed some beautiful temples, of course, ate lots of kimchi. Had a chance to go up to the DMZ, which is fascinating, where you sort of you, you go up to this little bastion, this battlement, and you stare across the virtual no man's land into North Korea. So uh, I hope you have a great time. It's It was quite fascinating. Yeah, I've got this long list of things that I'm going to do. And, and I joined a travel group. I really paid a lot of attention to the questions, the advice that they gave. I created this itinerary. I put it up for the group to kind of critique, tell me, you know, am I missing something? And should I add something? Should I take something away? And most everybody really liked the itinerary, but there was one lady who said, I'm already exhausted looking at this. (laughs) Right. Uh Yeah, you, you can try to take in sometimes too much. And, but you're a savvy traveler. Imagine you won't do that. The, one, the only admonition I would have is not to spend all the time in Seoul. Seoul's a big glistening city, but it's like so many other cities around the world. I'm sure the real interesting things are once you get out of Seoul and you start to explore smaller communities or little towns in the countryside, That's it's got to be really beautiful. Yeah, I'm excited about it. So you're going to be traveling and I'm going to be traveling at the same time for a very short part of your journey. If you get a, a window seat and you look down as you're flying over the Pacific Ocean, maybe you'll see a little speck of white way down below. <laughs> a wave. Give a little wave and flash some goodwill towards uh, first light below you. So I feel like I've missed so much because it's such a big adventure. Is there anything that you wanted to add? Uh, nothing offhand. It's been a delightful conversation as it always is. And I'm happy to engage later if you think of something. 
Awesome. If you have an opportunity somewhere where you've got Wi-Fi after you get somewhere and you want to just do like an hour that we could update listeners on, that might be kind of fun. Just let me know and we'll do another one and definitely one at the end of your adventure. Well, the end, who knows when that is, but with regards to along the way, I'd be delighted. It's always a pleasure. It's easy and fun to talk with you. So uh, maybe, maybe as we start to wrap up the end of French Polynesia, so we'll have almost 3,000 mile passage under my belt and we'll have explored, dived the reefs, seen the sharks, speared the fish, met some of the people and eaten some breadfruit. <laughs> so, Definitely. We'll more tales to tell. And I want to hear about whales and the pelagic birds and any of yeah. that interesting stuff that's going to come your way. Are there like uh, sea mammals out that way? I, I don't know. I've had my share of sea lions here in the Sea of Cortez. And where I am right now, we seem to have a whole lot of pelicans. You'll glance out and all of a sudden there's this explosion in the water. And it's one of these big ungainly birds doing his freefall crash <laughs> into the water. But amazingly successful and magnificent birds in their own way. I've seen that when there's been a big pot of fish out here and a lot of pelicans and they're, they are, they're just crashing into the water and it's a marvel that they're not breaking their necks in the process. <laughs> and they come up with these little fish, their tails are kicking out of their beak. And every time without fail, they seem to catch what they're going after. Yeah, I'd had, uh, it was last season actually, my boat was here in the Sea of Cortez. And it's in a beautiful island called Donzante. It's one of my favorites here. Really nice anchorage. And the stern of my boat had swung around and I was within probably 50 feet of this cliff that was rising up. And it had egrets and small gulls. It had pelicans. There were frigate birds flying overhead. And it was just a delight to sit there in the back of the boat and watching these birds diving in. And, oh, there was also this virtual river of sardines that were swimming along the shores. And these birds were just going absolutely crazy diving in. And just watch that unperturbed was a, quite a neat thing. Really enjoyed it. You know what I've been meaning to ask you every time you mention that you're at the Sea of Cortez? I had watched this documentary and, you know, they did it in a very scary way of the Humboldt squid that are in the Sea of Cortez. Have you ever run into those? And are they as fearsome as they make them sound out to be? Well, from what you've just said, I'm happy that I've never run into one. But <laughs> I have to admit, I no, I've never seen them. I think usually their denizens quite deep. So it's the kind of thing that you would be more inclined to see come up in a net, right? Um, I think that they're pretty the deep down. I mean, they literally made it sound like they were the Kraken, you know? <laughs> Yeah, right. It's kind of when, when you when you look at these epic battles that exist between, you know, the kind of thing that the sperm whale would be diving for and come up gnashing his teeth as the tentacles of this squid are wrapped around him. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly the picture. So I'm glad you've never run into any of those. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. I, I don't know if you're going to get to hear it because you're not going to have any Wi-Fi, right? I will have Wi-Fi for the next, probably the next couple of weeks, I'm guessing. Beyond that, when we start sailing, I have email contact, but it's very sparse, uh, low bandwidth kind of thing. And then once we get to French Polynesia, these islands do have Wi-Fi and I'll be buying a SIM card. I'll be checking. Oh, cool. So that's good. Sounds good. The audio quality from your standpoint, you are just crystal clear. It's a great connection. I hope I came across as clear with my little microphone here. Did it work out well? 
I won't know until I download all of the audio from today, but live listening to you, it sounds really good. And so I think it's going to translate as well as it sounds. I don't think there's going to be a problem whatsoever. Well, Silly, you've really upped your game. I mean, think back think back to, was I the very first inter- interviewed person? Yes, I ambushed you. <laughs> and, and also, there were a few things that went wrong. One, my mom had just fallen. And so I was very concerned about that. And then the other thing is that we did it in a restaurant. And the folks in the back stood right behind us and talked through the whole entire conversation that you and I were having. You know, <laughs> Even with friends that are local that you could talk to, there is a merit to just going off to a private place or even doing it the way we're doing. This is marvelous. Uh, in, in a way, it's it's almost easier to talk and, and very comfortable just to chat with you, visualizing you on, on the other end someplace in the great distance. But yeah. this has worked out well and is a comfortable way to be interviewed and to be able to speak without any anxiety. So it works. And You've upped your game and the audio quality lately has been been great with your podcast. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. You were the door that opened up the possibilities to future podcasts that are definitely sounding a lot better. And I feel so much more in my element, so much more comfortable. It's easier to talk to people. It's easier to ask the right questions, even though I know I had like 20 other questions that just kind of went out of my head as I was getting excited about things you were saying. So I know that when we connect again, I'll ask you about them. And I'm sure that the responses will be quite different than they would have been now. Technology-wise, though, using my phone and this little microphone, I'm, I'm sold. And having you in my in the headphones, I think, is really nice. Any outside distractions I'm not aware of. You might be hearing them. Yeah, there may probably motorboats and things going by, which might be a little bit distracting, but hopefully not too bad. It's fairly quiet here today, so we found a nice opportunity. That's kind of charming to have a little bit of that background. I think the ship's clocks are kind of fun. So the, the ship's clock, it turns out, was this actually this is kind of a fun little aspect if you're still recording, but the, the ship's clock ringing, that has a great deal of sentiment for me. When I was a little boy in Belmont Shore, my parents, I, they were, I guess, enthusiastic about the ocean. We live very close to the ocean. And the ship's clock has been sitting in the maternal home until the passing of my mom a number of years back. And of all the things that I could have taken from the house, uh, as, as my brother and I inherited things from my mother, the only thing that I really wanted most was the ship's clock because I grew Aww. up with it ringing out its time every single day of my life when I lived in that home. And there might be some foggy morning in Belmont Shore where you could hear it. it was more frequent back then, but you'd hear the ship's horns blowing as the ships were out in the fog of Port of Los Angeles off the coast of Long Beach there. And just the fog wisping into my bedroom window and the ringing of the ship's clock. I'm sure it was priming me for a future as a sailor. I'm sure that it was too, Don. This is such a wonderful adventure. And just for the record, this was recorded from a very cool location. There you go. And maybe in Tahiti, it'll be the trade winds will be blowing through the palm trees and it'll go outside so we get the full ambiance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would be really wonderful. (laughs) That would be really wonderful. Please take a moment to check out the show notes for selected links. Also, 
Keep sending me your questions and comments. I love reading them all, even if I don't respond to all of them. And also take a moment to rate this episode because your ratings really do help move this podcast closer to the top of searches so that my friends and I can reach more people. I'm looking forward to sharing more upcoming In the Company of Friends talks with you. So be sure to follow me on the socials and the dot com, all at The Queen Trail Podcast. That's T H E. Q-U-A-I-N-T-R-E-L-L-E podcast. I am Syl Annan, The Queen Trail, and until next time, I wish you passion, adventure, zest for life, intrepidness, curiosity, elegance, and beauty.